from the twisted realm of science and the darkest pits of reason comes chilling tales of godlessness. Bear witness to the unfathomable terror that is... The Good Atheist! Welcome to the Good Atheist Podcast. My name is Jacob Fortan. Today my guest is a recent, uh, say, deconvert that has started to get some attention because he was a fairly high-ranking member of the United Church of Canada, senior minister there. And he has just recently come out. He came, he, he came out by writing an article in a syndicated uh, paper that he writes for. And this particular article said, well... Uh, I'm no longer a believer after a lot of thought. And so I wanted to have this particular uh, guest on so he could tell us about the experience of his deconversion and also the post-experience of what he's seen kind of in the early parts of it. So today my guest is Bob Ripley. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Jacob. You know, I originally we had we had started recording and I didn't do it properly and I messed up your name, so I'm glad I got a second shot at that. You know, I'm feeling good about that one. <laughs> Just think, believe it or not. Yeah, Ripley's believe it or not. Now you you stuck it in my head, and now when I go to bed, I'm not going to be able to get it out. So thanks a lot. That's, You're welcome. Yeah, that's on you. <laughs> so first of all, I'd like for you to tell me a little bit about. So you you just you you've written this article how many days ago? This is maybe a week ago. At this point, a week, uh, week about ten days ago, my column is on appears on Saturday, so weeks ago, week ago this last past Saturday. Right, and you had been writing this column for uh, twenty five years, but just over twenty five years. Twenty five years, and but and it explained a little bit about what the column was and why it was a big deal that you would suddenly say, "Hey, I don't believe in this anymore." Well, the the column uh, has always been about five hundred, six hundred words, going on the Saturday. Uh, church page, and I put that in quotation marks, um, I was sort of the religion columnist and uh, started out as just sort of a way to uh, to use my, my passion for writing uh, and my passion for the gospel to say, try to explain it, uh, to throw some light on it in words other than one would hear in a sermon. And I wrote it primarily for the person who doesn't go to church on Sunday morning, but who might be reading the evening paper. So, and it was soon uh, picked up uh, by a syndicate and distributed across the country. So I've been writing it for, as I say, over 25 years, uh, until probably within the last two or three years where the tone uh, began to shift uh, intentionally because I was obviously wrestling uh, with cognitive dissonance of of feeling that the things that I was learning didn't jive with what I had thought and believed all my life. So finally, uh, on this, as I say, about 10 days ago, in my Saturday column, I, uh, the title of it is uh, How My Mind Has Changed, and I explained to my readership, which is you know fairly significant, and through the years people have sort of looked to me as sort of their, uh, maybe their uh, newspaper pastor, uh, just to say to them, I need to tell you that I no longer believe what I once believed. So this was, uh, now I'm sure after 25 years, you must have had some, let's say, fans that perhaps you even knew by name or or who had been in correspondence. 
Did you receive kinds of letters that were a little bit heartbreaking or shocking or even maybe a little bit cruel from, from people that had been, say, former fans? Well, as expected, I did get some um, some blowback from people who said that uh, they were uh, upset by my uh, by my uh, I don't know say my decision, but basically my my uh, change of heart and mind. Um, some reaction has been negative, but I was sort of bracing for that. But to be honest, Jacob, the vast majority of emails. Uh, and Facebook messages that I've received over the last week have been positive. Uh, thank you for your honesty and your authenticity. Even if people didn't agree with me, they, they, they were honoring uh, the courage, if you will, of, for me to sort of come out and say what I uh, feel and think. And the second part of that was uh, thank you for sort of putting into words what I've been wrestling with for years. I, I've had difficulty with doubts and skepticism, and I haven't been able to talk about it with anyone. I haven't been able to tell my parents because I didn't want to break their hearts or I didn't want to tell my wife or my husband. So I, I really, you know, the pastor's heart still beats in me, and I've really been uh, encouraged that I've been able to comfort people who've been afflicted with their skepticism for years, and here I am coming out and saying, here, I want you to know that for these reasons, I don't subscribe anymore to the tenets of Christian faith. Well, I definitely think that there's, you know, there's quite a few people that are always on that cusp and, you know, that have decided perhaps to remain silent on the issue. It's, a, it's I think it's actually easier in uh, certain parts of Canada because in Canada, politics and religions are things that a lot of times we just don't like to talk about. Wow. Uh, don't touch them. Yeah, right? Just, exactly. You can talk about hockey up here in Canada, but don't talk about religion. <laughs> well, it, it, that's why a lot of people are sometimes surprised. A majority of my fan base is American, and let's say in Canada, I'm a fairly, uh, you know, un, um, I'm an unknown because even when when I go around and I tell people what I do, it seems shocking to them. You're like, no, seriously, you don't talk about that stuff, do you? <laughs> mm -hmm. Let alone make a sure. living out of it. What? So it, it, I would say that there, because of that lack of discussion, I think that there is that need for people who have those doubts, who were part of that world. You know, I've never been part of that world. I don't get it. I I don't really know what you know what was going through your mind. Like, was there a particular moment? where all of a sudden it resonates with you, where the cognitive dissonance was too much, where the intellectual integrity was like, I can't believe this what was that was there a moment like that that's in your mind honestly i can't pinpoint uh, a moment where uh i finally had to say i can't to do this anymore it, it was a gradual process there are certain things that happened early on but i just the more i began to read the more i began to learn about cosmology biology biblical criticism, the more I returned to my church history, the more I took the Bible probably more seriously than I'd ever taken before in my life and started reading the awful passages where God, you know, encourages genocide and engages in infanticide. I gradually got to that point where I just, I can't do this anymore. Well, it's not even that he does this. I, mean, I don't know if you're aware of this, but I've recently uh, released a book where I rewrote the Bible as a dark comedy, if you will, and I tackled it in a pretty much paragraph-by-paragraph paragraph basis, because I wanted people to really understand the stories, to take it as seriously as you were saying, because there's no person who can read it 
and come out of it really believing. Like what, if you read it without anyone, anyone's assistance at all, just reading it raw text, mm. if you have that patience, yeah. then you, there's no way you can kind of justify any part of it. It's the only reason why most people are, are unaware of it when they're religious is just because they've never read the whole damn thing. That's the honest truth. One of the things that I've discovered in my uh, in my new uh, found atheism, if you will, is that uh, the atheists know the Bible better than most Christians. They've read it. They've analyzed it. Um, even my own son, when we were having lunch, my, he's 31 years old now, and he said, "Did you, Dad, you know that verse in Deuteronomy where it says if someone attempts you, know, you to serve other gods, that they should be stoned to death. And I went, what? You know, so my own son pointed out a verse in Deuteronomy I'd never even read before. So I think that, um, that, that people who have decided that they don't believe the Bible have actually studied it more seriously than, than believers. Well, you, you, you mentioned, for instance, biblical um, criticism, which most say most religious believers don't know that in the 18th century, a bunch of Germans decided, hey, you know what, I think the Bible can stand up to religious, I mean, historical scrutiny. If we look through and analyze it, and the answer is no. Yes. No, it can't. Why do you think the Germans were so depressed? <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of it that way. <laughs> but those are the things, those are the things, and you know, people have asked me, um, that, you know, didn't you learn about biblical criticism when you were going through seminary uh, here in Toronto? And the answer is, well, I sort of did, but I also didn't pay a lot of attention to it because I was so focused on getting out into the trenches of ministry and to preach and to, and to comfort people. And it was sort of like, don't bother me with all this academic stuff. Just give me my university degree so I can get ordained and get out there. Right. So, I want to go out and help my fellow men. Yeah. But now I've sort of, got, you know, in recent years, I've gone back and studied, um, you know, the, the the Gospels and the you know, whole um, history of the New Testament and how the story of Jesus evolved um, from from Paul's letters to Mark's Gospel to to John's Gospel and so on. Doing all that kind of uh, learning that I I honestly had never done before because I don't I never thought that people in the pew on Sunday wanted to hear about you know the, the different inconsistencies within the Gospels because they came. And I and I, I I believe that then and I believe it now. People come to church because they have got heavy hearts. They've got you know a lot on their plate. They really want a word that's going to bring them some strength and comfort to get through the next week. And it was my job to take the um, message of the Bible, if you will, and whatever form, and to convey that in language they could understand that would give them some comfort for the coming week. The last thing they wanted to know was, uh, did you know that the you know that the, the Christmas narratives, you know, contradict one another and that sort of thing. So, well, I suppose that people forget, you know, one of the, the one of the best and most, you know, thoughtful person on religion, Karl Marx. A lot of times, people only focus on the last part of what he had said of religion, which was to say it was the opiate of the masses. But what they don't understand is the beginning part of that says that it is the heart of a heartless world, the spirit of a spiritless situation. You know, for, for most people who see the evils of the world, what they want is a kind of theater of happy, where all of a sudden it's mm -hmm. like, oh, well, I'm going to preach something to you that's going to make you feel better. It is an opiate in the fact that you take it and it numbs you 
to the realities of the world. But no one's ever going to say that there's no there's no justification to want to be numb to some of those fucking realities. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So right. so I think it, right. it, it's easy for us to be dismissive. I think this is a problem we get. Once there's many of us that are part of, let's say, we're not all you know in the lovey-dovey United Church that uh, you know open arms in the kind of smorgasbord of of you know spirituality that might be okay. There are many people that you know experience some pretty brutal eschatology out there. Mm-hmm. Or you know for them it is a real trauma. But at the end of the day, like I think for the most part, this is this is something that we have to deal with as atheists is that we don't understand the fact that there are many people out there that just, I mean, what what are you offering them? And this is my this is kind of my question to you now, and, and I'm sure you've thought about this recently, because obviously you don't want to stop talking or analyzing situation. What 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 to do now? What do you, what what can you do? What would you like to do? Well. The, uh, the in the writing of the of the book and, and coming out, um, as I say in that in the column, that like my preaching uh, over the years, I have always wanted to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. So, uh, in this coming out, I, as I said a few minutes ago, it's really for the most part been a comfort to those people afflicted by their doubts and skepticism. So I suppose. The, the the other part of the equation is uh, afflicting the comfortable. In other words, uh, what I've done in this book is basically laid out the reasons why I would make my change of mind and heart and to challenge uh, people to also examine that same evidence. And if they can still believe with integrity, by all means, continue to believe. It is, it is my... Uh, it is not my goal to disabuse anyone of their faith. I'm not the kind of person that says, you know, if you still believe you're a simpleton and you know, you're not your anti-intellectual, I'm not here to beat people up. All I'm doing is really giving my testimony, as people have for years given their testimony in church of their conversion. I know here's what I once was, and here's where I am now. All I'm doing is the reverse. I'm just giving a testimony of deconversion, saying here's where I once was, and here's where I am now. And I would invite you to look at the reasons why I am where I am now. And if that challenges your faith, then so be it. But if at the end of the day you still believe, that's fine too. The person who writes the foreword in the book is a dear friend of mine who pastors a huge church in Brooklyn, New York. And when I came out and told him, you know what was happening in my life he said bob i don't care whether you believe or not i still love you and i like to think that at the end of the day uh it's it's important that we as human beings care for one another whether you believe or not i'm not here as i say to browbeat believers i want them to if if they're open to it to examine the arguments that i'm sure you have uh you you share with people all the time um, through your work. I just want to tell them, here's what I, what, where I'm at now, and if it challenges you, then so be it. Um, but so you asked me to answer, to answer the question, where do I see myself going? I don't really have an agenda. I don't really have, I'm not really on a crusade at this point. It's still so early on. I'm just wanting to uh, to come out and say publicly about my own decision 
and to give a reason why I've made the decision. Well, I mean, even even now, I mean, I've gotten you on so early because my plan is definitely to have you on again in, let's say, a year or when you've, because there's a phase that goes through. And I've, I've had uh, one of the friends of the show, Jerry DeWitt, who was a pastor, yeah. and he, he kind of went through a, this whole phase. You know, at first when he came out, he didn't even have his book. So we were pressuring him to just write that, and then he wrote it, and then he talked about it. And then finally now what he's doing is these kinds of humanist churches, if you want, uh, without, mm-hmm. without religion. And this is a kind of thing that I hope, I mean, I'm not, I'm not throwing this at you, but I'm, I'm hoping that other people who are religious who come out as atheists realize that I think that there is, there's an opening for this. There was a, the Sunday Assembly started in uh, Toronto, and it had a, a huge response. And I think that that's a tip yeah. of the iceberg. I mean, I was talking to people who know nothing of the atheism scene, nothing at all. They're just simple people who are like, I don't know if I believe or whatever. I'd love to go somewhere where people are just kind of gathering, and I could just meet like-minded non-believers, or at least to people whose belief is not important, but the sense of community is. And they're really capitalizing on that. And I feel like everybody else in the scene is a little bit slow to understand that need. And that that's a, that's a real human requirement. So I think that there's, 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 a, there's, a, there's room. There is definitely room out there. I, I agree wholeheartedly. And I, that is a, a basic human need that we have as, as, uh, as, as, as people. When we want community, we want to be fed um, in our, <laughs> I use the word soul, <laughs> but we want like music. We want to, to be moved. We want to be challenged. I, we want to go and hear somebody give a thought or a message that's going to make us think, at least I do anyway. Um, and so if there is a, there is a gap there, or there is a vacuum, if you will, that I would like to think will be filled. It may not be filled uh, fast, but I think that it will be filled. Um, in the last chapter of the book where I talk about beyond belief, it's sort of like, well, okay, where do I go from here? Where do we go from here? And just as Christianity appropriated festivals and customs from the, from, from a secular, from a pagan society, I think that atheists are entitled to take festivals and uh, um, rituals, if that's the right word, from, from religion and incorporate them into a culture of non-belief because those rituals and so on are very important to us. When a baby is born, when a child comes into a family, we need to find ways to celebrate that. Okay, we're not going to baptize the baby, but what are we going to do? So there, there is obviously a vacuum there. Um, I haven't <laughs> begun to launch that uh, equivalent of the Sunday assembly. Uh, it's a little early for me, and I don't really know if that's the role that I will take, but certainly uh, it's an important role. Well, I think that perhaps, you know, the, the, there's, there kind of might be different levels of it. Because at the same time, let's say that the culture of, of atheism or the atheist blogosphere has largely been a, uh, a culture of let's point towards the deficiencies of religion because that's largely, that was our strategy for a long time. I don't know if that's, you know, should still be our focus. I think that what I'd like to see as we transition is kind of people who are offering something a little bit more on the, hey, here's something positive. Here's the same amount of uplifting information, except for I don't uh, credit it to a 2,000-year-old dead Palestinian Jew. That's all. <laughs> Slight well, change in, think, uh, in makeup. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah, as I say, I think that there's a, there, 
there has been in the past, if you will, uh, and I, I'm guilty of it in early years of my uh, ministry as a pastor or minister, of thinking that atheists are these lost, uh, amoral, depressed souls that are just angry all the time. And the last thing that we want to do is to fall into that caricature, to be sort of angry people that are, that are, uh, that are uh, lacking kindness and goodness and so on. So, because, you know, as I say in the book, I think that atheists ought to be the happiest people in the world because we know that this is it. So <laughs> we'd better make the most of every day and we should be kind to one another because this is all there is. Well, I think we we have, I think what, what the atheism seemed to me right now is a bit of a teenager. You know, we have our, we have that kind of rebellion against authority figures, which are in many cases, they're, they're multiple, right? They're part of them are religious, part of them are the, you know, what, what has resulted from a, a large patriarchal society and so on and so forth. So we find ourselves like a teenager being like, I must reject everything. And we find ourselves very angry. And then once we calm down a little and we realize, okay, well, what are the things that we want to keep now from everything mm -hmm. that we rejected? Because we realize that not everything about those structures are bad. We just thought that they were really embarrassed to even admit that, let's say, our parents may have been right about A or B or C, because then, you know, all of a sudden we're, we're again fighting with that teenage part of ourselves that needs to craft our identity. And the, that identity can sometimes feel fragile for people, and I understand that. I mean, mm -hmm. you, as someone who's just recently come out of that atheist closet, you could see that there is still a part, there must be still a part of you that's like the, you know, you don't know what to expect next. You know, what is going on? Like, what is, what, where will this all lead? This is new. It is. And people have asked me, well, what is it you, what do you miss about the church? What do you miss about your preaching? And, you know, one of the first things I say is I miss the music. In our, our tradition, we had a huge, you know, Casavant pipe organ and a lot of choral music from the 16th, 17th century. And then I realized I could download it on iTunes and play it on my computer when I'm writing at home. And in fact, I actually do that. Um, so I, I continue to uh, listen to pipe organ music um, because that's something that I miss. And that to me, there's no reason uh, why, again, non-believers can't, can't enjoy the music that has, has given them such delight as a believer when we do it as a, as a non-believer. So the things that there are certain things that I miss that um, I'm sure down the road can, will find a new expression from a, only in a different context. Well, there's definitely, I think that, you know, rem, you reminded me in that speech that we forget that back in the old days, I mean, religious service was about theatricality. You know, you had to get people mm -hmm. interested in it because what else was going on? I mean, you were just toiling the fields and then finally you'd see some kind of show that would at least might be entertaining. And then after that, you could go and socialize with people. That doesn't sound like half bad. You know, add a little bit of liquor there and a tiny little wafer for bread. Hey, you got a party. <laughs> well, worship has always been drama. And... And, and, and I've dabbled in live theater, and you know, dramas are also a part of our human experience as a, as a means of of conveying um, messages, conveying thoughts. So it's done on the on the live theater. It's and it's also has been done in the context of Christian worship. So that sense of drama is something else that we as humans gravitate towards. 
Um, and, and it's not, and again, it's not that we want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. That uh, we may say, okay, look, and I no longer believe in a supernatural deity who knows all of my thoughts. However, um, there is certainly a place, certainly a place for glorious music, for good, authentic uh, drama to challenge our uh, our minds, if you will. Well, we also have a kind of a, a very unique opportunity, at least in our time, because say say back in back uh, a thousand years ago, if you're doing a play you're doing any type of theater, you're of the opinion, at least back then, that, and everybody had that opinion since the beginning of theater, that it was always the people that were more ancient that possessed more knowledge. But we invented later on something called science fiction. The idea that in the future you could actually present moral issues that haven't come up yet because of things that you can now imagine. I think that that's a bit of a, a, a unique time for us because... Let's say we, we combined that, the, 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 the way that religion takes stories and say, well, we'll craft these moral allegories. And now we can say, we can take that and we can think ahead. We can use our, you know, our, our brilliant little monkey minds and think of what might challenge us that we don't face yet. And I think that that's kind of like the unique opportunity that, you know, we'll always have moral questions that that pop up who knows what they'll, the future mm-hmm. moral question will be it might be like hey i want to grow a tail that's wrong we should not tamper with that you know and maybe we, we'll be able to do that in a few years do you want a tail do you want to be able to fly and have a weird body maybe that's gonna be a hard discussion one of the things, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean one of the one of the uh subject matters that propelled me forward in my journey was was science i've never been scientist. I've always been an arts and humanities kind of guy. Um, but I've become fascinated with science and learning, obviously with your Neil deGrasse Tyson, your Richard Dawkins and you know, that whole that whole genre of of of, of proponents of science. But in the book I you know remind ourselves we have to remind ourselves that science uh, does not have all the answers. We still have our issues of loneliness, um uh and, and purpose that we have to work out for ourselves. So again, I think that's where uh, there are there must be, if there aren't already, forums for non-believers to wrestle. I mean, we're still human beings. We're still going to have some of the same issues that we had when we were believers. If we're not a believer anymore, so we still have to find ways to deal with those basic human issues that we have. Well, and also figure out ways. And this is the challenge of, let's say, the the atheism community in general, is that we have to find ways of reaching out to people in, you know, in in a, in a way that won't make us seem because they they already have their preconceptions about us, right? Like already you said, you probably be thought we were, mm-hmm. uh, what, what did you think we were, just depressed or nihilistic or oh, what did you a- think of the angry, amoral, <laughs> yeah, without morals, uh, angry, uh, lost, of course. Um, when did you actually uh, stop thinking that and start thinking that maybe it wasn't altogether that half bad? Because, again, it, was, it sounded like a progression. There must have been a point. Did you meet an atheist and then all of a sudden you're like, hey, this person ain't so bad. They, they don't seem to be unhappy. Was there any kind of experience like that? Well, I did become, I did, um, I've become close friends with a law professor at, a, at our university uh, who uh, has become a very dear friend and, and encouraged me to write the book. Uh, he grew up Salvation Army, played the piano and so on, and, and you know, as, a, as a teenager, he, he left the faith. But he and I got into these great discussions 
uh, about scripture, about faith, and so on. Um, and he's just the nicest, the most delightful guy in the world. And he probably was the first uh, sort of openly atheist person I ever got to know. And um, that was a kind of, a, I suppose that was a bit of a revelation for me because, as I said, I've always had this uh, a lingering notion that uh, from a believer's perspective that atheists are just sort of out there and they're, they're, they're different. And this was, this was a, he was a fellow that was just the dearest, sweetest guy. Uh, and we just got to know one another. Uh, and of course he hasn't believed in years. So, uh, and, and he became a real uh, encouragement to me. Um, not that he was saying, well, Bob, you've got to come out of the closet. He, he didn't have to do that. Um, but he was encouraging me to, in, in what I was learning, I would say, well, did you know, oh, yeah, well, he, did you know, oh, yes, you know, <laughs> which is sort of the what, what I have, I, you know, I'm sort of like the, the new convert, <laughs> I'm the new deconvert, and, <laughs> and, you know, I realize now that people have walked this path long before me. I, I was asked to speak to a humanist uh, organization in London uh, just recently, actually before I came out in the column. And I'm telling them, did you know this? And said, I'm learning this, I'm learning this. And at the end of my little talk, they're going sort of like, yeah, <laughs> like you're not telling us anything we haven't wrestled with before. Oh, right. You know, <laughs> feel a bit late but to I'm the party. Always, I get it. I get it. I'm, yeah, I'm a little late to the party. I'm just this enthusiast because I'm, you know, I'm learning all about you know, the size of the of the Milky Way, you know, and and and, and Darwin's evolution by now, you know, this is all, and I know how it sounds, I know how naive it sounds, but it, I'm 62 years old, and I'm discovering this sort of for the first time, so I'm kind of giddy um, with what I have learned. Um, well, it's a new renaissance for you, really. It is a new, it is, it is a renaissance, it's a, and, and again, what I, I keep saying in the book is that I want people to understand that a deconversion from faith can transform a life in ways that are no less radical and joyful as conversion to faith. Um, I would say, I would say that there, I mean, I know a believer who listens to this show is never going to, is never going to trust me on this, but I would say, because mm-hmm. I've, I've read well, I had to rewrite the damn Bible. And I, I would say that there is not one instance of when they talk about the wonder of the world, describing it as, you know, with their firmament and four corners and yawn. When you consider something as amazing as the fact that half of all the water on earth is old, is older than the sun. Put that in your fucking yeah. pipe and smoke it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a that's well, a heavy you know, realization. Again, I, I I tell the story about being with some friends that have a, a fishing trawler up in Alaska, actually, and uh, we go fishing with them. And one day I was on the outside on the boat, and I was looking at these beautiful mountains. And I realized, I just sort of caught myself. I realized I was just sort of welling up with awe and wonder. And, and what I realized was the awe and wonder wasn't directed towards a creator made the mountains it was directed towards the mountains it's like how beautiful this is how gorgeous this planet is that we're privileged to live on and that again that wasn't it wasn't nobody led me along the 
way. It just was something that was happening to me. These are the sort of epiphanies, if you will, that were propelling me along the journey. Well, there's a, I mean, even, even that example, when you think about the mountain, you're like, that mountain can only exist because the earth is a giant molten piece of rock. And if it wasn't for that fact, everything would be flat, dull, boring. You live in an active world. That's what's so impressive about it. That's just a yeah. tiny fraction of its power, just a small amount. Yeah. Now, that's power. Yep. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and it'll burn you if you go too deep. You know, we, we'll never be able to go too deep in that damn earth. You know, we got 12 kilometers and we had to give up because it got too hot. That's right. I mean, that's right. I mean, that's it. what do you think that represents in terms of the circumference, you know, the the radius of the Earth? This is not much here. This is a tiny. This is like <laughs> nothing. I mean, like the rest of it will forever be unknown to you. There's a whole alien world that's so hot that you'd have to be some kind of plasma creature to visit it. Forget about it. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. you know, but here we are. Here we are in this sweet spot in our solar system. Yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah, I'm thinking about what I'm going to write this Saturday, and I'm, you know, it's in, in Canada. It's our Thanksgiving is this weekend, so I have to write my Thanksgiving column, and and the, the Thanksgiving I'm really feeling is that we're so lucky to be alive on this, to borrow from Carol Sagan, the pale blue dot. Um, when you think of the chances of for us, for you and I, not to be here, far greater than the fact that we are here. So again, it's those little, those little epiphanies, for lack of a better word, um, that are making me sort of... Uh, Fanciful, like you said, giddy. Yeah, I would say that for at yeah. least for the column on Thanksgiving, I would tone it down a little. The all of a sudden, the Carl Sagan-y on the pumpkin pie thing. I, I would say I would say maybe what you could do with you know add a little dash of science and this is always what I love about plants whenever I eat them is when you think hey where did all that where did this matter that makes this plant come from you're like oh it's the air it's all the stuff that you've been breathing and everything in the air that's what made whatever it is that you're eating and so I kind mm -hmm. of I like to think about that just the fact that all the little molecules you can't see they'll get gathered up and turned into whatever could be a tomato could be a <laughs> You know, a future pickle, whatever. That's what I'm thankful for. I'm, I'm thankful that there are so many different variations that I don't have to eat soil and green all day. That's what I'm thankful for. <laughs> so maybe that's a little bit, you know, because don't go whole universe, you know. Unless it's not, you it's do, not written yet. Although I do have an idea for you. You could write the, if you want to make pumpkin pie, first you need to build a universe. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Great opening line. All right, you can have it's it. It's not written yet. You can have it. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> it's a small gift for because you have unknowingly here. I mean, I, I can only imagine what the long-term consequences of this are going to be because you probably don't know, but there's going to be – it'll have huge ramifications. Every time a person that was always in a high position in the church steps down and admits their non-belief, I don't think they know. It's like a giant grenade that goes off in people's brains. Well, I'm quickly learning that, yeah. I mean, I, I knew there was going to be some backlash and some reaction, if that's, the, uh, if that's a probably a better word. I knew there would be a reaction. Um, but I didn't quite, uh, I guess, anticipate uh, how, how broad it has been. Well, you have, um, I think you have to think about it from the perspective that if you're a believer, and again, you haven't really read the Bible or you've been spoon-fed it by people like you who 
whose job it was, it was mm-hmm. to spoon feed them the Bible, and then they go over and be like, "But you know this thing, and you don't believe what the what does that mean about my belief?" And you're like, "You should seriously question it." <laughs> the answer. Well, the one chapter, uh, you know, is one of the early chapters of the despicable deity, where, as you said, when we started off this conversation about you know these passages uh, in the Bible, that if you read them, you just kind of gasp, like they're they're horrible. This, you know, God is like this thin-skinned deity with anger management issues, you know. And I found myself saying, I, I remember thinking, I don't like this God. I am. This is the God that I have been worshiping and adoring almost all of my life. And I don't like him anymore. He's mean. He's vindictive. Yeah. Um, Not only is he vindictive, uh, but I would say that even though the people who sometimes, you know, they, they're like, well, that's okay. Even though he's a total dick. His son is—he's better, and then you're like, well, there's a there's a few problems with that idea because you're like, well, as much of dick that God was a dick and he's a royal dick. If he if he annihilates you, Old Testament guy just annihilates you. That's it. The other guy, he's like, mm-hmm. he'll send you into burning hell forever. You're just like, uh, mm-hmm. how long is forever? Longer than anything else. That's what the answer to that is. Yeah. And you're like, well, how long? How long should a person be tortured until that's morally wrong? And you're like, there might be a number. I don't know if there actually is. It's a pretty morbid thing. But it, eternity is not the answer. No. No. We, in our, I'm sure, as in your justice system, our justice system, you know, says that the the punishment ought to fit the crime. And I remember thinking, okay, if I'm 20 years old and I've decided I don't believe, and I live till I'm 80, so for for 60 years on this earth, I don't believe that a deity exists, and for that, I get an eternity of torment. I mean, that to me, that that, that that's not just <laughs> that that crime that punishment does not fit the crime of not believing that a god exists. Well, it's, it's just some of them. It's not just that; it's also the character or the person of Jesus would bug any person if they read it for a number of reasons. Like one, let's say. When his followers come to him and they're like, why are you talking so weird? And he says, oh, that's because Isaiah said that no one would understand what I say, so i got to talk like this. And you're like, what? That's not an explanation. That's just so that you can fulfill some mysterious prophecy. But then you appreciate that it's not likely that 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 was was a a saying of Jesus. Right, exactly. That he ever said such a thing or that he even was such a character. But... The whole point is, I mean, even if you took it as a character in a story, right? Because, I mean, again, we're creatures of stories and we want to understand characters. There's no way you can actually understand characters as Jesus is a character that makes any sense. Like, wildly inconsistent is a nice word. (laughs) It's like one minute you're like, oh, the nicest guy. And then the next, he's such a racist. What's wrong with him? (laughs) So there are nice bits. you know, there, there are nice bits, Sermon on the Mount, you know, but it's just like in the Old Testament, there's Ecclesiastes 3, to everything is a season, which in my books is probably one of the finest pieces, passages in all of English literature. So there are wonderful good bits in the Bible, but you got to look um, hard to find them, and you got to ignore a lot of awful stuff to get to the good little bits. Well, it's easy to ignore. I mean, it's, it, imagine if someone gave you uh, you know, the Odyssey and said, read this and you're going to get all your morality or once a week, I'm going to read it for you. The passages that are the best, 
And then I'm going to tell you that all of it, the rest of it is just great, even though really a huge portion of it is telling you how you're supposed to kill birds whenever you're menstruating and having to pour their blood seven times clockwise on an uncut stone altar. You're like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, that's, that's what you have to do, and that's just when you're menstruating. Now, if you did any wrong, you better show up with a non-retarded goat or God's going to start writing down some fire here. Right. And then you you also notice throughout, you're like, hey, how come the best piece of meats always go to the priests? Uh, how come that is? And, all, and he, they get to keep the money. Who wrote this again? Uh, who, you know, what's this for? <laughs> yeah. But it's that, that, that critical thinking um, that I, I have come to with the realization that critical thinking is, has been absent um, in the day-to-day life of the average Christian, and certainly uh, in my proclamation, if you will, over the years, uh, those are the passages that either I did never had never read before, or if I did, you just gloss over them because we want to get to the good little bits, right? Um, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. Well, let's go for Psalm 23, but you know, let's ignore Psalm 139, which says, "Blessed is the one who dashes their children's heads against the rock." So. You know, you know, in our justice system, I'm sure it's in yours. If somebody took a child and bashed their heads against a rock, they would be considered a homicidal maniac to be hunted down and and tried and incarcerated for life. But in the Bible, that person would be blessed. So, those are the passages we just just don't even go there. Right? Well, we also think that one of the, one of my favorite parts, let's say, uh, in the in the Pentateuch. When you're when you're dealing with Moses, there's a bunch of times where Moses is fucking up, and he's making it clear that he wants everyone to know that it's not his fault. You know what I mean? Like where he's trying to cover his tracks, or even I think the part that surprises me the most that whole golden calf incident. Oh, whose fault is that? Oh, Aaron's. Oh, you mean Moses's brother? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's the one who makes it. So why is it that four thousand innocent people die? Why don't you just kill Aaron? He's the one who's at fault. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, what the hell? You just sound like a bunch of maniacs. Oh, and you were saying, don't stop until you can't even lift your arms anymore. That's how much killing you're going to do, guys. (laughs) Sorry, what? (laughs) That's horrific. And you're just like, no, Moses was a great guy. No, you must be thinking about somebody else. He's a murderer and a bully. That's what he is. Can't think of many other good qualities of Moses. Altogether, not a good guy. But you also appreciate that if you were to point that out or suggest that to people of faith, that you're going to get, you know, this, quite a, a reaction because, you know, um, I, again, I, I, as I say in the book, for even for Christians, the whole idea, the very notion that perhaps Jesus never existed, or let's just say Jesus Christ, the Christ, never existed. Many of them can't even go there. They can't even countenance that thought. Um, so there's immediate pushback. So if you say, well, Moses is you know, kind of a despicable character. God is a despicable character. Jesus likely never even existed. Um, that's really tough for a person of faith to hear. And maybe one of the things that um, going forward, maybe one of the jobs that I have, I'm just talking out loud here, but maybe one of the jobs I have going forward is being able to um, get that message across, but to do it in a way that 
I'm not saying watering it down, but to do it in a way that's sort of uh, gentle, to, to, again, to point out, well, now, did you know how the Bible, how the Gospels came about? And or what does it mean to this oral tradition? Well, it means that things were not written down for years and years and years and years. And when they were finally written down, they were written down in language other than they were what they were articulated years before. So anyway, just to sort of explain um, to believers, uh, did you know that? Did you know that? Have you read this passage without sort of beating them overhead and saying, you know, Jesus probably, you know, God's a jerk. Jesus likely didn't exist. Um, again, I'm just talking about my style. I'm not saying that this should be everybody's style, but well, you're gonna you're going you're going to find your style because you just got started, man. Like you're just totally new to this game. Oh, yeah. That's why I wanted you on. I'm like, man, this is gonna be fun because what we're gonna do is eventually <laughs> when we have you on again, we're gonna probably play some of the old stuff. Who knows? Maybe make fun of you or. <laughs> <laughs> you were so naive. Remember when you said that when you just came out? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we in in a sense though, that's the kind of thing that we, the message uh, ultimately. If I would say, do you have uh, you know one sentence that you could say to a believer to try to make them open to the idea is to say, your I cannot begin to describe the level of innocence that you have about the world around you. That would be my only thing. I can't even like how do you begin? You're just saying your worldview is. So unbelievably confined, narrow, and mm -hmm. tiny that if you broke free of that, there's really no telling what you m might accomplish. Like maybe you discover some unbelievable talents when you no longer just service the Lord, which is oh, apparently it's a heavy service for some, heavy burden. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know people, like, you know, have said to me, "Are you how are you feeling?" And I and I honestly think feel, as many have before me, I'm feeling quite liberated and quite free um, because I can say sort of what I want now. I don't have to sort of couch it in, in Christianese, um, which I'll, you know, mea culpa. I probably have done that through the years until I realized sort of where this path was taking me. I don't have to do that anymore. Uh, I'm not going to sort of go around and, you know, preach atheism from the street corners in Toronto, but um, but I can, having been honest, first of all, with myself and now with people who once looked to me for spiritual guidance, having been honest with them, now I can sort of speak my mind and uh, feel very liberated by that. Well, I do have one suggestion. If you are in Toronto uh, the weekend of November 1st, I believe there's a, a non-conference happening there, uh, so there should be tons of uh, non-believers who uh, who show up. Oh, okay. So it could be could be a nice thing to go and actually encounter other people and see what those kinds of conferences are like. Because the thing is, I mean, I don't dislike conferences. I think that they have their place. I think they appeal towards the academic side of the non-believer scene, you know. And I'm I'm like, that's all well and good, but I want to have a good time. Like that's my. <laughs> I want to have a damn party. I want to have an experience. Ah. I'm more of the believer, if you say that, if you can make it an, a real, fundamentally moving experience, you have something. Like one of the things that we lack. I don't know if you read this article. It probably makes sense hearing it. The fact that most rituals, human rituals that are that have like that are very, very intense, create the most in-groupness. 
So, you know, you have like those crazy hardcore rituals in, in Africa where, you know, it's like go slap that bear to prove you're a man or, you, you know, you have all the, 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 the crazy baptisms that they do in the South so that it's really just energetic. You feel this notion that's going to create a lasting experience with people. And that, that's what, what you were talking about before, where we have rituals. We want those certain experiences to mean something, be it a birth, be it a wedding, be it certain moments of our lives where we're like, I want to remember this. And what's the best way to yeah. do it with experiences that are intense? And those rituals are often very intense. <laughs> the other thing that I'm learning um, quickly uh, is that just because um, – a group of people in a population say they no longer believe, that doesn't make them homogeneous. It doesn't get, make them like-minded. It doesn't make them all the same. So within the atheist community, there are different needs that are uh, felt, and uh, there are different opinions, obviously. There's different styles. So we shouldn't be um, upset, if that's the right word, when there are differences of expression, because it isn't that... Uh, you know, not believing is just not believing. It's not like we automatically become this tight-knit community. Um, it's a very loose community or a loose mindset, if you will, simply by saying, no, we don't subscribe to a supernatural being. Uh, so so there are people, I think that there probably are and will continue to be a, a conference where conferences where academics can come and share their ideas. There can be groupings where people can come in and have more of an experiential uh, gathering, um, people that can come together and have a good party. Uh, and it shouldn't be, you know, one size doesn't fit all. Well, we have, the, we have an unfortunate tendency, I think, in, you know, of being hyper aware of what we might look like. I think that's why usually these kinds of things get a, a little bit of blowback. It's just basically saying, oh, you don't want to appear like you're just a religion because people will make the wrong assumptions. But I always feel that they've already made such crazy assumptions that do whatever the hell you want and let them figure it out, really. Mm. They, they have to come mm -hmm. to that on their own. And no amount of – you know, you could show on this, this nice face, be this nice homogenous little group, and it wouldn't even freaking matter because it wouldn't change their own internal – Beliefs is kind of like you were saying before. This was a personal thing that took what? How many years? You say two, three years in total? Seven. Seven well, years. Together, seven. Wow. Yeah. Seven yeah. years. Yeah. That's a that's a long time. That's that's how long I've been doing this damn show. Coincidence? Yes. <laughs> Very it, much. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> World is filled with them. That's what's great about. It. Again, understanding yeah. science. I'm like, coincidence have to happen. Otherwise, it would be really creepy if they didn't actually. <laughs> But tell that to a person who's had an experience. Of yeah. Yeah. Again, I mean, you find yourself in a. We, you know what? Here's. The, let me ask you this question. Like, let's say uh, this will be a last question before I go, because this will be okay. the challenge. How do we? You okay. know, because at the end of the day, there's still one thing that religion has that, um, let's say, that we still lack, because they will. I think it was Nietzsche, or no, it was Freud who said that basically religion is there because we fear death. That was his simple explanation. Christopher Hitchens was a big believer in that's the primary reason. So if you go over to someone and you basically have to tell them that, yeah, not only is there no heaven, but you have to go and you have to kill everyone you've ever loved again because you're hoping to see them then. That's a tough sell. So how do we make that sell not so crappy? 
Well, I remember having to uh, come to grips with the notion of my own annihilation, that when I die, this is it, because I've always felt that I would live on with, with Jesus. Um, so so it's, it's, it can be initially kind of sad when you say, you know what, this is all there is, uh, there ain't no more. Um, but I think, I don't know, I guess from my perspective, the way to, to, to sell that is to say now, once we've come to grips with reality, not wishful thinking, once we've come to grips with the fact that we're just like all the rest of the life forms, we live we, we, when we die, now let's make the most of it. Uh, now let's not waste an, uh, a, a second. Now let's be good to one another because there's no, no reason not to. Um, we have one life to live. YOLO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, that's, um, that's the young per- perversion part of it. The young people, you say YOLO. The older people, you say you know, this is your time now. Take full advantage of it. Don't wait for tomorrow. You wanted to travel? Fucking do it. Don't just sit on your ass. Just go do it. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Don't wait for the second life. Second life's not happening. Make life one right. memorable and special as much as you can. And there, and that can be, again, to me, that can be a, a positive message. Uh, once we come to, to grips with reality, let's face it, okay, now, yeah, let's get busy and be good and take advantage of every day that we've been fortunate enough to have. Well, it sounds to me like you're ready to fly, Bob. You're ready, you're ready for this <laughs> gig. You know, I challenged you with a dark question. You answered it without breaking a sweat. You're ready for the big time. Uh, uh, thank, thank you, Jacob, so much. <laughs> I've christened thee. The good atheist is now christened Mr. Ripley. Oh, he is ready I to feel move. it. I feel it. It's yeah. Well, it's really easy when you have no charm, no power, and really no say. It's easy to hand yeah. these things out. Yes, I bless thee with the super yeah. atheist powers. Thank you. <laughs> you have the power of reasonability and of asking questions, and uh, and and of being. You have one advantage too. You are a pleasantly Canadian, so uh, that 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 affords you a certain degree of. Uh, what's we're looking for? Friendliness that is so hard to deflect because I think that that's going to be the one uh, you know the big advantage. Again, like you said, you probably thought atheists were this these horrible nihilistic, and now you've turned around and you've proven that to be entirely false. Now you're the representative of that. So, well, I was going to say I'm sorry if I've been too polite, but that's probably taking the Canadianism <laughs> too far. Don't you ever apologize for that? God damn it! <laughs> Not one word of apology about politeness. I will only accept right, so much right. Canadianness on this show. Remember, right. most of the people listening right. to this are American or Australian I or understand. from the UK. But soon, I'm right. sure that you will, you know, you will do well. And I hope that you kind of the, that the conversation does also happen a little bit more in this country. I feel like we've underestimated the religious influence here in Canada because we just feel like, oh, let's not discuss it. Perfect opportunity for religious wackos to take control. Mm-hmm. And 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 yeah. I feel like a lot of part if we just wake up enough people. And they got, they become aware of it. All of a sudden, they you know that's that's going a long way. So make make Canada less religious, please, Bob. I beg you. I'm I'm working on it. <laughs> but right now, I'm just sort of as I said, I'm just trying to uh, uh, field uh, <laughs> field calls and uh, respond to emails and and take it all uh, in. Take it all it, in. Oh, I am. I am for sure. 
I am for sure. Well, I'm glad that we could catch you before uh, you you really explode onto the scene. So I'm happy to no. to really be that. I don't. Is this the first interview for like an atheist thing or specifically? Uh, or? No, I did one this morning for the thinking atheist. Oh, he announced the word atheist. Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to tell you, but you asked. Well, you know, I wasn't going to lie. You can't lie. He's he's a pro too, so he he knew he knew. He was one step ahead of me. I'll have to I'll tamper the break. Just by, just by six hours. So. <laughs> well, it's, actually, my, yeah, my chat with him is not going to be broadcast until tomorrow. So, oh, you know. I can beat him. I'm going to post this thing tonight. This is happening. Yeah, first exclusive <laughs> on Good Atheist. You gave me the inside track. Thank you for that. You're not going to make. You're not. No you haven't made a powerful new enemy. I guarantee. You. <laughs> All right, Bob. Thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Wonderful.